All right, Two Cities Church, are you ready for this? I don't know if you are ready for this. Welcome. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, whether you're watching online or you're in the lobby, we see you, or you're in here. Uh, Before we get into all that we're going to talk about, and and we're going to talk about a lot uh, over the next eight weeks, and I'm real excited about all that we have in store for 2022, I want to take one last moment and look back. Because 2021 was a huge year for us. Again, if you're coming around, uh, you're new, you're watching online, you're new, you maybe don't know this because you're not in here, you can't see this, that we have been, uh, we have had capacity issues for a long time as a church, okay? We're out of space, uh, we're out of seats, we're out of services. I mean, we've tried, right? We added seats in the lobby, we added a service on a Saturday night. We can't add any more services. I mean, what are we going to do? Add a 3 a.m. Vampires for Christ service? No, we're not going to do that. And so, and you guys, and many of you, because you love us, because you're just great church, you're a great church family, you've pulled us aside outside, you've told me, you've pulled me aside, you said, Kyle, what you're doing, what we're doing, it's not sustainable, and we know that. And and so what we've been doing for like two years is, even in the midst of COVID and all that, we were looking for a piece of property or another facility or or something like that. And then in, in January of last year, so 12 months ago, we found eight and a half acres in downtown. Now, We bought it. It's really exciting. But if you've been listening carefully, I keep saying that we now own 11 acres. And some of you are good at math. You're like, wait a second. 11 is more than eight and a half. How'd that happen? Well, there was multiple smaller pieces of property connected to the piece of property, the eight and a half acres, that we were able to get. And here's my favorite story. There was this one key piece of property. It's a little over an acre. But it was like key for parking, for traffic flow, for connecting us to a whole other street. But our realtor couldn't figure out who owned it? So we finally figured out who owned it. He said, well, this guy doesn't have a cell phone. He says, he doesn't even, not only does he have a cell phone, he doesn't have email. So I, I've kind of snail mailed him. You know, I've sent, I sent him some mail, but I've not heard back. And I just thought, what would a great leader do? I said, we are going to go drive to this guy's house and we're going to knock on his door. So thankfully he didn't live, I was willing to get on the plane, but he didn't live that far away. So we, we, he lived in Pinehurst, North Carolina. So we drive down there, it's me, it's Pastor Dave, it's, in our real, it's our realtor, and our realtor is super excited. He's like, guys, this is so exciting, this is like a Hail Mary, that's what he said to us. And, the, and we're, we're driving down there, and, uh, and we get to this guy's house, and I knock on the door, and no one answers. I'm like, oh man. I knock again, no one answers. And not too creepy of a way I walk around the house just one time just to see if anyone's there, Okay. <laughs> I can't see anybody. So then I'm like, I'm not going home. So, so I knock on his neighbor's door. No one answers. I knock on another neighbor's door. No one answers. I knock on a third neighbor's door. Finally, this young couple comes out. And I said, I happen to be in the area, which is true. Um, <laughs> I'm looking for Tom. And they poke their head out. And they say, oh, oh, Tom's there. That's Tom's car. And I said, well, I knocked on his door and Tom wasn't there. They said, Tom's real hard of hearing. You're going to have to knock really hard. So I go back over and like a DEA agent, I just hit the door. Tom opens up, never seen me his whole life, opens up smiling. And we began a friendship and a relationship with this older gentleman who ends up loving us and ends up selling his piece of property to us because he's excited about what we're doing as a church. Isn't that incredible? So that's how we got 11 acres. Isn't that great? You can clap if you want to. That's great. Okay. So, so follow this. So that was kind of, that was a huge part of 2021 for us. And then we had to form the building. So you find the Find the land, then form the building, designing it, okay? So let me show you a picture of the outside of the building. You, many of you have seen this. This is going to be on Patterson Avenue. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Yes, it's going to be 48,000 square feet. We're super pumped about it. Uh, in fact, it, this thing is so designed that I already did a virtual reality tour. Pastor Dave and I did. We've seen the whole facility. Walk through it all. Let me show you the worship center. Um, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be 300% bigger. It's going to seat uh, just under 1,300 people. Let's show them one another picture of it. 
Uh, it's going to be just a really amazing place of worship. So, so here's what we've done, guys. We have found the land. We have formed the, the building. It's basically done. Uh, and then we had to fund it, and that's the journey of generosity that we were all on. And remember, we had that big commitment Sunday in November, and then like two weeks later, I got up, and I was like, woohoo! You know, hey, guys, this was awesome. And, you know, we had two goals, 100% participation, and $2 million in one-time gifts, above and beyond normal tithes and offerings. And we had like right around $3.5 million committed. You know, people prayed about it, dropped the card in, said this is what we're going to get, but then you never know what's actually going to come in. So I wanted to share with you today what we have actually received, what we have in hand from the initiative. $3,896,088.68. I know what you're thinking. Who gave 68 cents? I don't know. Um, Guys, this is incredible. What I want to do is one last time, and then we're not going to talk about the building for a while, but I, I just wanted to celebrate what God has done. I want to pray and commit it to be a place of worship, community, and mission, this facility, deeper discipleship and wider mission. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Song of Solomon. Lord, one last time, we just want to publicly thank you for all that happened in 2021. I know that it, and for a lot of us, it was also a hard year, maybe in our personal, professional lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you that as a, uh, as a whole church, it was a year of grace, uh, very evident to see the grace of God. We thank you for opening up 11 acres, Lord. We're thankful for generous people like Tom who got the vision and were willing to sell their property as well. Lord, we thank you for all the teams we've worked with to design a kid's building and a worship center that are connected, to have a place where people are going to be able to genuinely seek you, where hopefully seekers and skeptics come to faith in Christ and are saved. And for a place from which it really, we see it as a home and a hub. Where from there, we go everywhere, Lord, locally, nationally, globally. We commit this facility to you. We ask that you would use it for your glory, for deeper discipleship, and for wider mission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you can type to or turn to, flip to, or find Song of Solomon. <clears throat> if you have one of those real Bibles, just open it up, and, and uh, you, it's right about the middle. If you find Psalms, turn right, and I'll, and I'll meet you there. Uh, the Song of Solomon, this is going to be an eight-week series. It's going to be, uh, I'm going to make up a word here. It's going to be top-positional, okay? Uh, here's what that means. We're going to get through all eight chapters, but we are going to trace certain themes and certain topics throughout. We're going to talk about anything and everything. You kind of saw it in the trailer, in the, in the bumper, whatever you want to call that thing. We're going to talk about sex, okay? We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about manhood. We're going to talk about womanhood. We're going to talk about masculinity. We're going to talk about femininity. We're going to talk about all of it. And, and I want us to start, so today we're going to kind of follow two whole chapters. Let's just, let's camp out for a moment in verse one. Look at me at verse one. This is Song of Solomon, and this will kind of help us understand uh, the whole song. It says this, the song of songs, and by the way, let me encourage you to take a lot of notes in your Bible over, this, over these next few weeks. I think it's going, to be, um, it's going to be really helpful. The song of songs, which is Solomon. So I had a few people ask me, or I had one person in particular ask me, um, why in some Bibles I open it up and it says Song of Songs, and then in other Bibles I open it up and it says Song of Solomon. Okay. The Bible is inspired, but the titles of the books of the Bible are not inspired by God, okay? And so what happened is uh, uh, people were reading it, and some people go, well, this looks nice, Song of Songs. Let's call it Song of Songs. And other people said, well, it's the song of uh, song, but, but it's the song by Solomon, so let's call it Song of Song. And that's how we got two different titles, just so you know, okay? But end of that. Okay, so let's move on for that. <laughs> that's it. So what, what it is, here's what I need you to know, that it is a song, okay? So Song of Solomon, so, so Solomon, he wrote, we're told in other places, he wrote like a thousand songs. This is the only one we have written down. This is his one-hit wonder. This is his chumba wumba, okay, if you're familiar with that song. 
Uh, th this is the, so the only song that we know, that we have, that we have in its entirety. And here's what it is. It's basically a, a romantic love song between a man and a woman. In fact, we're gonna see the man sings and the woman sings, and then they, there's kind of a choir from some of her friends sing. Uh, but you're gonna see this back and forth. Think Beyonce and Jay-Z. If you're older, think Sonny and Cher, okay? <laughs> e either way, this is what, what they're doing. They're singing back and forth. Now, uh, it was ironic or interesting, and people have poked at this, is that Solomon writes this book. Solomon. Solomon is a sexual sinner. Solomon, other places, Solomon has 700 wives. I know what you're thinking. That's a lot of mother-in-laws. <laughs> it is. But, but, but in all seriousness, people go, well, why, is he, why, why should he write this book? I mean, he's a broken sinner. I mean, he, he's a man who didn't have his sexuality right. The answer is, you're exactly right, that in fact, one of the assumptions and presuppositions of this whole series, and by the way, I can't say everything every week, so I'm saying a lot of introductory things I want you to hear me say this week, is that we believe that every person is a sexual sinner. We believe that every person is sexually broken. We believe that every person has disordered sexual desires, okay? And God can redeem them, God can renew them, God can use you in the midst of it, your new relationships can be very different than your old relationships. Hear me say all of that. But hear me say this, that forget about Solomon. It's not as much about Solomon. This book is the written down word of God that gives us the ideal. It's the ideal relationship. The ideal relationship of one man and one woman for one lifetime. It's the ideal relationship of moving from friendship to dating to engagement to honeymoon to marriage and then dealing in the right ways with conflict. That's the whole book. Now, here's the problem with the ideal. We need ideals, right? We, you need an ideal for your life. Like, it, what, are you gonna, what are you going to do without an ideal? You're gonna, you have no goals for your marriage? No desire to get better? Nothing to aspire to? It's like, of course not, but here's the problem with an ideal. As you read the ideal, the ideal constantly judges you. This is what an ideal does. It basically says, you're not matching up. You're not living up to what your relationship could be, to what your sexuality should be. We'll, we'll feel all of that. Here's a great example of how this happens. Every time a very stunning and very beautiful woman walks into the room, everybody feels uncomfortable. I mean, I'm, I, this is actually what happens. Women feel uncomfortable. Men feel uncomfortable. Why? We don't know what to do with that beauty, and it exposes our faults and flaws and shows us where we fall short. So what we're going to see in this series is we're going to see this book written by a sexual sinner giving us the ideal relationship of one man, one woman, for one lifetime. Now, you might say, who is this book for? Now, the answer is all scriptures for every person, okay? But you might also say, like, who is the target audience? Like, when this was written for, like, the original context and everything, who is it for? Single women. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not awaken love before it's time. The target audience of this book is single women, and we have a ton of single women in this church. In the same way, the book of Proverbs, guess who the target audience for the book of Proverbs is? Single men. If you read it, now it's for everybody, I know. But if you read it, it's like it's a dad saying to his son, hey, son, listen, there's going to be two really good-looking women in your life. And every teenage boy's like, huh? Huh? What? what? Yeah. Uh, there's Lady Folly and there's Lady Wisdom. They're both going to want to sleep with you. And you can only pursue one. Who are you going to pursue? Well, that's the whole book of Proverbs. So we have this beautiful picture and this beautiful image of, um, 
And this beautiful song, okay, now listen, here's the other thing I want you to see, that it's in the category. So in your Bible, you know, there's different types of genre of literature. There is law, you know, there is prophecy, there is letter and epistle, and there's many other forms. But what is the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs? I'll use those interchangeably. It's wisdom. Now, that makes a lot of sense because what is the one area of our lives we probably could use a lot of wisdom? Right? Where's the area where like, I could use wisdom in my marriage. I could use wisdom with my sexuality. I could use wisdom in my singleness. I could use wisdom in my dating relationships. And here's how you know that also. Usually the most painful memories and the greatest regrets you have tend to be in the categories we're talking about in this series. And so we need wisdom. So what are we going to do? We're going to go back, and because of what it said in that little trailer you saw, God isn't silent about sex. We're going we're to see what God has said. And we're going to start today specifically with the men. And you might say why, or some of you might say, oh, thank God. <laughs> By the way, ladies, no amening, okay, during the sermon today. No elbows in the sides, okay? Uh, we're going to start with the men for various reasons. One, it's always where God starts. When Adam and Eve, when they both fail, when they both sin, when they're both hiding, when you could argue that Eve started this whole thing, who does God go after? Who does God call to account first? The answer is Adam. So men, if anything's ever going wrong at your house and Jesus Christ were to show up at your door, knock on your door and your kid open up the door, he would say, I'd like to talk to dad, okay? Because though everything is not your fault, everything is ultimately your responsibility. That's the weight, that's the burden, that's the glory of being a man. And also, we have this conviction for this whole series that you can't have healthy churches without healthy marriages, and you can't have healthy marriages without healthy men. But men are confused today. Men are told, you're the problem. That's, what, that's basically the message. You're the problem, and we'd like you all to apologize. For, for what? For being a man. No. That's my answer to that. No. In fact, we love men here. What would we do? And I'll, I'll, by the way, in two weeks, because I need some more time, I'm going to come back and speak to the women, okay? Uh, next week's going to be about singleness, the dating, and traction. But what would we do without men? We love men. We are grateful for men. And we think the answer is not more programs and not more nonprofits, although th both those are great things, but more godly, gospel-centered men. So let's look at this song. Now, here's what you need to realize. They're going to sing back and forth to one another in this song. Look at verse 2. If you turn to me at verse 2, you're going to get to see this. She starts. The woman starts, okay? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Some of the guys are like, I love this series already. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to go home on the car ride. And you're going to say, honey, I think we need to start working on scripture memory. I know that you, I know a while ago we talked about this. We're going to need to memorize this. Um, no, what happens is the woman speaks first and the woman speaks most in the book. The woman, this is rough, speaks about 60% of the time. The guy speaks about 30% of the time. And then her friends speak about 10% of the time. And that's how it works, okay? Uh, and so that, this is what happens. So, so here, but here's what we need to know. So every guy, like we're going to be real honest in this series, by the way. Like if you take yourself too seriously, you're not going to like this series. We take the word of God seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. We're going to laugh a lot at this series. I'm going to try my best to avoid being, I'm going to avoid being crass and crude, but I'm also going to avoid just being cold and clinical, right? Those are the two ways people tend to talk about sex and all that. It's either clinical and cold, not helpful, like textbook, or it's crass and crude, inappropriate, okay? So we're going to kind of pray for me, okay? <laughs> Over the next year. That's right. Okay, so um, 
But let's be honest, every guy wants his wife to say this to him. And every teenage boy, and every young single man wants one day. Pornography is a cheap lie and distortion of this. That's pornography, just so you know, we'll get into that, not, not today, but, it, you know, but it's, it's a lie. It acts like every woman wants to say that to every guy, no matter what, all the time. That's what pornography says. Well, we, what you see in verse 2 is every guy wants his wife to say, kiss me with the kisses. Basically, I want you. You better come after me. I want you badly. Well, the question is, okay, well, what kind of guy is that? Like, who is the type of man that a woman wants? Well, we're going to spend the rest of our time, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, I'm going to give you nine things that a godly man should be based on chapters one and two. And maybe you're just going to say, I'm going to try to grow in one or two of these over this series. Or maybe you have a conversation, an honest conversation with your wife over which area do you want me to grow in the most. But I'm going to give you nine today. Let's look at the first one. It says this, verse three, she says this, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins, literally young women, young single women, therefore virgins love you, draw me after you, let us run, the king has brought me into his chamber. So the first thing she says is, I love your name. Do you see that? Now you might go to what, she just like really likes how Solomon sounds. That's not what she means. Your name is your character. Your name is who you are at the core. The na your name is how you consistently act, right? This is how, we all have patterns and paths. That's how we know you, how you're gonna respond before you respond, it's your character. Okay, and so what she's saying is your character is like oil. The first thing a man is, is he must be a godly man. Now, why oil? Because oil is pure, because oil is undiluted. Now, look, every man knows he's not this by himself. This is why this is the uniquely Christian understanding of manhood, that for a man to be a good man, he must be a godly man. And for a man to be a godly man, he must be a gospel-centered man. It means that, men, we have to see ourselves as sinners who need God's grace. That's, that's the foundation of being a godly man that a woman would love, that a woman could follow, that could lead a family. I see myself. This will actually make you somebody that you'll feel safe with. I know myself. I know, my, I know good and evil run right through my own heart. I know myself as a sinner who needs God's grace. So the first thing a man does is he takes responsibility for his sin. He, I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. Now, he doesn't do what the men do in the world. What men do in the world is they boast in their sin. You'd never believe how much I drank last night. Well, that's called boasting your sin. You'll never believe how many women I slept with. That's called boasting your sin. You'll never believe how easy it is to cheat on your taxes. That's called boasting your sin. Now, in the church, we're not doing that. We tend to blame it on other people. We, we do something and say, I'll tell you why I did that. It's because of my boss. It's because of the stress in my life. It's because my wife put on 50 pounds. It's because my kids are always acting so crazy. It's because I have no vacation. It's because of the amount of hours I've been working. This is as old as Adam saying, when, when God said, what did you do? Uh, it was the woman. And ladies, we'll get next, to it next week because women like to get spiritual. It was Satan. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll talk about that. So that's next week, or it's two weeks. Okay, so anyway, um, but, but we tend to blame or we tend to bury, right? We tend to hide things, which is exhausting. I think men, a lot of men are more tired than they need to be or should be. And most of their tiredness is the living of two different lives. I have a home life. I have a work life. I have a travel life. I have an into the city life. I have a weekday life. I have a weekend life. I have a, a kids aren't home life. Wife's gone life. I have everybody's here life. And I'm constantly trying to manage multiple lives and it's exhausting. And so what we do is, the way we start being a godly man is you say, listen, I'm not, I can't be a godly man by myself. I need Jesus Christ to save me. 
to rescue me, to love me, to change me. I need to see myself as a son of God. This is important. You need to see yourself as a son of God before you can be the brother and the husband and the father that you need to be. It flows from first seeing yourself as a child and son of God. Secondly, though, so that's the most important. She starts with the soul. And we know this, by the way, as well, because a Pew Research study, not a Christian organization, came out, and I'm going to get into this in the next few weeks, but they, uh, they asked women, what is the number one thing, this is not a Christian study, what is the number one thing you look for in a man? High above everything else was integrity and honesty. After that, it was financial earnings. After that, it was ambition. Guys, I got bad news for us. Looks was way down here, okay? <laughs> But I want you to see this. Look what happens next. Verse three, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. She moves from his soul to his body, okay? So I can't read you all the verses, but if you read all eight chapters, you're gonna see that she says a lot of nice things about his appearance and how he looks, okay? So here's what happens. When you care about yourself spiritually, you start to care about yourself practically. Let me say it again. When you care about yourself spiritually, you start to care about yourself physically and practically. I see this. I see guys come to faith in Christ. I remember this. And all of a sudden, they cared about their studies. And all of a sudden, they needed to work out. And all of a sudden, they wanted to treat people right. It begins to, it begins to have a comprehensive effect. So here's the second thing. Uh, your wife wants you to take care of yourself physically. Okay, this is like, so, so I didn't say she wants you to be hot. For some of you, hot has, that ship has sailed a long time ago, Okay. <laughs> For me too. I know some of you up here go, Kyle, you're not very attractive and you're not in very good shape. Imagine if I didn't try. <laughs> this is me trying. <laughs> but, but women, they care a lot more about your health than you being hot. I mean, really, they, they want you to be around. They want you to be a dad. They want you to be a, a grandfather, right? And so, so this is, here's what this simply means, men. You need to do this during the series. You need to have a plan to take care of yourself physically. And it can't be, I'm going to buy shorts and sweatpants with elastic waistbands. And I'm just going to see how this whole thing works out. If that's what you're going to do, then what you need to do is you need to sit down with your wife and your kids when they're appropriate age. You need to sit down with them because this will be a good experience for you. You need to sit down with them and you need to say, hey guys, listen, I'm not planning on taking care of myself. I'm going to be really selfish for 20 or 30 years. And so what this will do to you is as you get older, I'm going to put a burden on you, an unnecessary burden on you and on your mom. And you guys are going to have to take care of me because I'm unwilling to take care of myself. Now, obviously, when we say it like that, it's like, that's silly. We, no one would ever want to sit their family down and say that. But some of you, that's what you're doing. So you have to figure out how are you going to take care of yourself. Look, she says, she gets something really practical. He smells good. You see that verse three? He smells good. He has fragrance. He has fragrance. Now, listen, we, women have fairly low expectations for us, man. It's not that we have to smell good. Here's the thing. We can't smell bad, okay? <laughs> some of you are like, you're going to need to get like a medical version of like some deodorant. You know, I, I don't know. Some of you, you're going to have to, ha your wife is going to, let her pick out your cologne. Some of you are going to need to floss and brush your teeth every day, okay? <laughs> the, some of you are going to have to carry gum and breath mints with you all the time. And we have to be able to talk. By, by the way, this is a good thing. And part of in your relationship, in your marriage, think of how awkward this conversation is going to be in two weeks when we talk to the women about these things. But, um, but it, um, the husband and wife need to, in a healthy marriage, you need to be able to appropriately talk to each other about your expectations, about your desires for one another. If not, you'll become resentful. You'll become bitter. It can often, in extreme versions, lead to fantasy lives. You don't want to do that. You want to have honest conversations. Men, we need to help other men. 
I've, I've had to do this with multiple men. It's always super awkward for both of us when I'm doing it. I always do it in private. Hey, man, you know, the way that you keep your hair, you look a lot like Chewbacca, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've, ha I've had to have serious conversations. Hey, man, listen, like, you need to trim your nails. It's, it's gross, and you look, you look unkept. I've had that conversation. You're probably unaware of how much dandruff is on you all of the time. You need a breath mint. Like these are, these are not like, but you say, but every time I've had those conversations, of course in the moment it's embarrassing and you know all that. Afterwards they always thank me. Hey man, your clothes are not fitting you correctly. And, and these are simple things, but in a fatherless generation, we don't have men often in our lives who are helping us. So first he says, listen, you gotta care for your soul. You gotta be a Christ sentiment. Secondly, you gotta care for your body. It's not about being hot. It's about being healthy. It's about being here long-term. Thirdly, you have to speak words of life. Look at me at verse four. Or I'm sorry, verse eight. Verse eight. Verse eight is the first time the guy speaks. So at the beginning, you know, the, the lady speaking, here the guy comes in verse eight. He doesn't say a lot, but what he says is good. Men, we need to pay attention, okay? If you do not know, here it is. Oh, most beautiful among women. You need to come downstairs and your wife's making breakfast. Oh, most beautiful of women. We need to lay it on thick. Here's the rule. When she is starting to get embarrassed, you're getting very close, okay? <laughs> when you feel like I'm doing this way too much, way too much, I've said it way too much, you're almost there, okay? You gotta lay it on. Here, here's what he says, look. Oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and the pasture... And Pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. Um, now, here's the thing. Here's the truth. Most men, if we're honest, are known for their silence and for their absence. Dad's always getting away, don't know where dad is, don't know how dad feels, right? Men are not, as, especially older men. You think about a man like over 50, it's like there's a man over 50 today know how to express his emotions appropriately. Not a lot. The average guy's emotions are like hungry, angry, tired, bored. It's like, we need some more emotions. How's dad doing? How's dad? Most men don't know what to do, by the way, with negative emotion. That's why most uh, male depression looks like anger. Because men don't know what to do with negative emotion. What a godly man is, this is so simple. So if you want, if you kind of, okay, so a godly man cares for his soul. A, a godly man cares for his body. And a godly man is present and speaking. Done. That's it. It's like, well, what should I do with my kids? Be present and speaking. Well, what should I do with my wife? Be present and speaking. Well, what should I do with my girlfriend? Be present and speaking. That, that would be nice. Not on your phone all the time, because what that does is, what a phone does is divides and distracts from your presence. You're present and you're speaking. Now, look, ladies, okay, give us some grace, because look, Solomon, the ideal man, let me show you, this is the best compliment he can come up with. Look at verse nine. So give us some grace. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. He says, you look like Seabiscuit. <laughs> he says, you remind me of Uncle or of uh, Mr. Ed. Okay? He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Now listen, all it means is, listen, he had lots of horses. Okay, Solomon's rich. If you don't know this, horses are dogs for wealthy people. <laughs> so he has all these, he has all these horses. He knows what a mare is. It's a fine-looking horse. And he says to her, you're basically a fine-looking horse. Okay, here's what this means, ladies. Give us grace when we give you a compliment because we're trying, okay? If, if, if your husband, if he says, like, I don't know, just he likes, he's into boating and he says, listen, he says, babe, you are like a nice bass boat running fast through the water. Here's what you say in response. 
You're darn right I am. <laughs> That's what we need, okay? We need some help, okay? If you, if you, if you will pat us on the head and say, good job, we'll do it again, okay? Um, we, we need some help. Now, what, what the tendency, and this is, this is what I don't want to have happen in this series, okay? The tendency is um, somebody, one of you starts to try. I'm, just, I'm talking to a married couple here. One of you starts to try. Like, you're like, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice, and I'm going to initiate, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask questions, and I'm going to take out. And, and let's just say it is the guy. He's trying. And the temptation of the lady is to go, I know why you're doing this. You're doing this because we're in the Song of Solomon series. That, you're just saying nice things because Kyle said that. Well, here's what happens. The temptation is to punish, punish your husband for doing something good. And Nietzsche, not a Christian, Nietzsche said that is the most uh, successful way to make sure nobody does anything ever again. If somebody's trying to do something good and you punish them while they're trying to do something good, the chances that they're going to do it again are almost zero. And so we want to, part of this, we want to give each other a lot of grace. Look, here's what, here's what we're going to try to be men. We're going to try to be godly men who take care of ourselves because we want to be healthy and here long-term, who want to be present and speaking. It's like, I'm just telling you. And let me tell you the kind of man you are when you do those things. Look what she says next. Here's what she says in verse 12. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henan blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Okay. So here's the fourth thing that you need to be. You need to be an Engedi for your wife. You go, well, okay, Kyle, I need to know what an Engedi is first. Okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. Okay, here's what an Engedi is. An Engedi was an oasis in the desert right next to the Dead Sea. So think about it. There's a desert. Like, okay, I don't want to be there. <laughs> there's the Dead Sea. Okay, there's no life there. Okay, next to those two things, there's an oasis. What is that? A place of peace, a place of life, a place of rest a place of relief. Men, here's the assumption that you should have, okay? It's very difficult to be married to you. Some of you go, who? Yeah, yeah, have that assumption. It's very difficult to be married to you. And that your wife, she's got a lot going on. So lots of you have young kids in the home still. So some of you, you're both working full time. There's the home, there's, there's all of these, there's all of these different things that your wife is managing. Now, here's what I have found, that in almost every, I can't actually think of when a time this didn't happen. When I talk to a couple that needs marriage counseling, and I, they, even they, maybe they both say, we need marriage counseling. And if I can separate the two for a second, and I say to the guy, scale of one to 10, 10 being great, one being not great, how's your marriage? Every guy, no matter what, where his marriage is, kind of basically gives the same answer. Seven or eight, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not perfect, but seven or eight, and then you, Push him aside. Okay, hold on, I'm talking to your wife. Okay, what do you think? It's a two. And she's usually the one who's telling the truth and a lot more accurate. What the husband is to be is the thermostat, set the temperature. What the wife is to be is the thermometer. She actually gets to tell you the temperature. So a lot of guys are like, isn't it hot in here? She's like, I'm freezing. <laughs> That's what it is in here. And so, okay, how can you, so two things, be an Engedi and create an Engedi. Be an Engedi, here's what that means. Don't be another child. I mean, how many women, that's what they say, have, they have two kids, but they go, I have three kids. <laughs> my two kids and my husband. I mean, he's kind of a loser as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to take care of him. He doesn't know how to clean up. He doesn't know, he doesn't know where the dishwasher is. He doesn't know how to do laundry. He's more of a, 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 he's just like all my other kids. He takes more than he gives. He consumes way more than he contributes. 
and he's more of a burden than a blessing to be around. It's like, okay, not an Engedi. You want to be a type of person that brings rest and relief. So, you know, you guys have heard a little bit of my story. So my wife, Margie, and I, we've got three kids, nine, seven, five. Life, she stays at home. Life's very busy. Uh, and so I've asked this question, not exactly how can I be an Engedi, but just something like that. Hey, how can I bring help? And she said to me before, hey, like, life's crazy. Like, our home is sometimes crazy. I'm cooking every day. I think it's going to start some way, and it doesn't always end that way. The number one word you could think when you come in is merge. Because I used to come in, hey, how's everybody? And I try to take a, let's not eat that. You know, it's like not merging. <laughs> I need to just merge. I need to go, okay, what's going on? I need to be aware of what's going on. And then every day it's a little bit different. And I come in and I want to merge. That's try, it's me trying to be an Engedi. Now, now there's a second thing, creating Engedis. You don't, you don't have to have a lot of money to do this. But let me give you two practical things. One, how is your master bedroom? Okay, if there's one place in your house that could be an Engedi, that could be a place of rest and relief, it could be your master bedroom. Unless that's where you leave all your dirty laundry, unless you don't have a lock on the door, unless you let your kids in and out all the time, unless your young ones are sleeping with you, unless it's unkept and disorderly, not an Engedi. Okay, I don't have a Bible verse for it. I'm just telling you the master bedroom can be and should be the Engedi of the home for you and your wife. Secondly, look ahead at your schedule and go, how can I? Don't have to have a lot of money. We could do staycations. We could get creative and swap the kids with another family and get a night off and get some free childcare and we'll watch their kids next time. You can do all that. But how can you create an Engedi? So I went to my wife and said, you know, again, didn't use the words Engedi, but just basically said, hey, what would be really restful? What would give you life? Let's look at the schedule for 2022. And she said, I want to go camping. And I thought, oh. <laughs> if you know me, I'm what you'd call indoorsy. Okay, roughing it is a hotel room without room service. Okay, so, um, but we, we just talked and we realized, no, this is going to be great. I put it on the calendar. Okay, in May, it's a little warmer. <laughs> well, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take the kids. It's going to be a great memory. But for her, it's like, okay, here's why I say that. Because every woman in every season is going to say something, it would be something, an Engedi would be something different for her. It's a little different when your kids are young. It's a little different when you're an empty nester. It's different in different seasons. Okay, uh, next I want you to see that after you do all of this, I want you to see what she responds. Look at verse, or how he responds. Verse 15, look at this. He says, behold, so this is the second time he speaks. He says this, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And then he speaks about her eyes. Look at this. Your eyes are doves. So he knows how to talk to a real woman and say nice things to her face to face, okay? In fact, what's interesting is because they're in the dating relationship, um, everything that he says to her, now we're gonna see in chapter three, they have the honeymoon, they get married, okay? And he'll compliment every element and aspect of her body, okay? We'll, we'll get there. But in chapters one and two, while they're dating and moving toward marriage, he only says nice things about her eyes and her neck and her face. Okay, so when you're dating, your favorite song is the old nursery rhyme, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, <laughs> knees, and toes, okay? <laughs> because here's the temptation that, that we tend to treat, the, the, the temptation of a man is to treat a woman like a commodity. That's how it is. That's what the pornography industry is. Um, in fact, what you'll see, and I've met men like this before, who actually, they don't know how to relate to a real woman. They don't know how to look a woman in the eyes. They don't know how to say nice things about a real woman. And in fact, a real woman makes them feel very, very uncomfortable. They don't know how to love a real person because they have only been staring at pixels, right? They don't know how to love a real woman because they only know how to go to websites. And so what you see is, and by the way, this is, watch, I'll show you this. He, he, he take, here, here's the, uh, 
Here's the, the next thing a godly man does along with this, is he treats her with respect and takes her out. Look, I'll show you this. Verse 16, she says this, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful, again, speaking of his physical character. And then she uses poetic symbolic imagery, which points to going outside. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, and the rafters are pine. What a godly man does is he cares for a woman, he respects her, and especially in the dating relationship, he spends time with her away from where it will be tempting. So he takes her outside. Some people, ever, you'll see people in their, in their dating relationship, and they're like, we're really struggling with sexual purity. You go, okay, well, why? Well, every night we stay up real late, you know, at his place, and he doesn't have any roommates, and we're under the blankets, and we're watching The Bachelor. A duh. <laughs> yeah, I know why you're struggling. A godly man says, I'm going to take this woman out. Now, look what happens next. Verse, go to, flip to chapter two. We're going, to be, we're going to cover all of one and two in these couple weeks, but I want to show you, show you around a little bit. Chapter two, verse three says this. Again, this is the woman speaking. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young women. With great, uh, uh, sorry, among the young men, I mean. Uh, with great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So she uses this imagery. She says, she says all right, this guy is like an apple tree. And she gives two illustrations. Uh, she, the fruit is sweet to the taste, she says, and the shadow is a place of comfort. Here's the imagery. It's the idea that what a godly man does is he provides and protects the woman. This is uniquely what men do, and you provide spiritually and financially, and you protect spiritually and financially. How do you provide spiritually? I actually know God. I have a relationship with God. I, I'm going to lead you because I'm following Jesus Christ. I know my Bible, I have a vision for my life, I have a mission that I'm on, I'd like to invite you into all of this with me. That's how you, that is how you provide spiritually. How do you provide financially? Now listen, um, you know, this is, again, I have to be clear, this doesn't mean that you have to make tons and tons and tons of money, okay? But here's what this does mean, it does mean, guys, you cannot, you gotta stop working on your third masters in Russian literature. It means that you have to stop wrecking up ridiculous debt. It means you have to stop talking about all of your passions and discovering who you are and you need to get a job. Before God gave Adam a wife, he gave Adam a job. And certain times guys are like, all right, I'm single, what's the best pickup line? Here's the best pickup line. Hi, my name's Bob and I have a really good job. Women love that line. Okay, and we actually know this. We, women can say whatever they want to say. We, every study shows that women marry men who make more money than them and are slightly older than them. The only exception is if you were high school or college sweethearts. Everybody else, for the most part, marries men who make more than them. They want to be cared for. They want to be protected. The second thing is, is, uh, is not just providing, protecting. How do you protect? Well, again, men are bigger and stronger. That's how God created us. By the way, we believe that men and women are different, but they're more the same than different. Let me say that again. Men and women are different, but we're more the same than we are different. But men are bigger and stronger as a general rule. God created us to protect physically. It just makes sense. Um, but then we also protect spiritually, and we protect spiritually. I would say the number one way is by connecting our wives and our kids to good gospel-preaching churches where they can have meaningful community because it takes a church to raise a Christian. Okay, so we, we see all of these things. Now look what happens next. Look at verse four. It says this, she speaks. She says, 
He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. In other words, he was proud of me and he celebrated me publicly. He talked about me on social media. He told, he told his parents how much he loved me. He talks positively of, about me in front of his friends when I'm not around. He's very excited about me. And then here's what she says. So what, when you protect a woman and when you provide for a woman and when you speak powerfully about a woman and celebrate her publicly... Verse five is how she will respond. Sustain me with raisins. What, what, what does that mean? He, she says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. Now, here's what this means. Back then, they thought that raisins helped you get pregnant. What is she saying? I am ready to have, I'm ready to be this, uh, uh, have this baby's, I can't say it right. I'm ready to be the mom <laughs> of this guy's kids. Baby mama, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> Someone said that in front of Yes, I'm ready to have this guy's kids. Basically, here's what she's saying. I love this guy. Here's the next thing, guys. I love this guy, and I would, this is the kind of guy I would want to be a dad to my kids. Which is super, here's, here's all I mean. We don't talk a lot, well, no, we do, but our culture doesn't talk a lot about being a dad. But I, I want to say this, it's more maybe to the young men. If you're older and you're not a dad, and, you know, not everyone gets that opportunity. There's lots of grace. I just want to speak to the young men because being a dad is one third of your life. And being a grandfather is another one third of your life. And what you don't want to do is voluntarily miss out on being a dad. That is not something that you want to do. I have had an opportunity to meet very successful people. I've had the opportunity to meet very interesting people. And they all tell me the exact same thing, no matter what they've done and where they've traveled and how much money they made and what they've done professionally, they all tell me, if they're rightly oriented in the world, they all tell me the exact same thing. My family and my wife and my kids are what's most important to me, especially as I age. And so you don't want to voluntarily miss out on being a dad. Part of it is the goofy confusion of our culture where we have divorced marriage from sex and children. We've divorced those things. We've acted like those three things aren't connected though throughout all of human history, they were. Which leads to the last thing. This is this, verse eight. The voice, here she speaks, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, he's leaping over the mountains, he's pursuing me. He's bounding over the hills. What's the last thing? That a godly man pursues and leads his wife for her entire life. A godly man pursues and leads his wife for her entire life. Look, she says this, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag, verse nine. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So yes, there is a deep conviction from scripture in, the, in this church that the men should lead and that the men should pursue a woman and lead her. Listen, guys, there was only one guy in all of human history who went to sleep, woke up, and there was a beautiful naked woman standing in front of him. His name was Adam, okay? That happened one time. The rest of us need to go and pursue a woman. In fact, if I can speak particularly to the single men, why God gave men a strong sexual drive is so that they would grow up. It's not the only reason, it's one of the reasons. So a guy would say, wait a second. You know, a guy kind of wakes up to this, obviously sometime in his teenage years. I am a sexual being and I would like to have sex. That is a conscious thought every teenage boy has. And so the church should be there with the Bible to say, I've got good news for you. Sex is for marriage, marriage is for men. You can become a man. I can? Yes, and the quicker that you become a man, the better it will be for everybody who knows you, okay? <laughs> 
great, okay, so I guess that means I need to go to trade school, or I need to go to college, or I need to get a degree. I need to, take, I need to be godly, right? I need to take care of my soul. I need to take care of my body. I need to learn how to articulate myself. I need to pursue a woman. I need to get a job because I have a strong desire for sex. And that desire is to grow up. And that desire is to be in marriage. And marriage is to be for men. So he says he, pursue, he pursues her. The language is very, very strong. And then look at verse 11. It says this, for behold... Winter is past, the rain is over and gone, verse 12. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So here's what you need to know. How do men lead their wife for her entire life? They lead her by leading her through different seasons and stages. Did you see that? Hey, babe, winter's over. Now it's spring. Fig tree has blossomed. You need to understand that you are going to lead your men. You need to understand that you are going to lead your wife or your now girlfriend through many different seasons and stages. Oh, I'm leading during friendship. Great. Now we're dating. I'm leading. Great. Now we're engaged. I'm leading. Great. Now we're married. I'm leading. Great. Now my wife is a mom. Every guy knows that when his wife becomes a mom, she's never the same again. Oh, we're in a whole different season. Now we have multiple young kids. I'm leading through all this. Oh, we're empty nesters. I'm leading through it. We're now taking care of our parents. I'm leading through it. I got cancer. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm leading through it. This is what men do. And one of the key things you've got to do is verse 15. This is, this is leadership. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. We're going to have a whole sermon on this, but it's a commitment to deal appropriately with conflict. And here's how a man deals appropriately with conflict. He says, everything that happens in this house is my responsibility, even if it's not my fault. So one of the kids could not be doing good in school, and it actually could be your wife's fault. I'm making this situation up. She hasn't been checking the homework or is dis she said she was going to do something and didn't. She missed following up with the teacher, she, whatever. She didn't get your kid the right supplies that he needs to be successful. It might be her fault, but guess whose responsibility it is? You. And this is actually good. Any man who's rightly oriented in the world says this is actually right. This is how things should be. Right? You, there can't be two heads in the home. What, what is something with two heads? A monster. Right? The Bible teaches single headship, plural leadership. Okay, so everything is ultimately my responsibility, and what a burden, and what a blessing, and what a weight, and what a glory. And then the second thing is, I'm the chief repenter. So I'm always going to repent most, and I'm always going to repent first. We got in a fight. Well, I think it's 90% her fault. Well, I'm going to take responsibility, and I'm going to be the chief repenter. And if we are committed to doing that, we're going to be able to lead our wives through every stage. Because look what it says in verse 16. This is marriage. She's beginning to look toward marriage for the first time with this phrase, my beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and I am his. It's the language of lifelong belonging and commitment. We want to, the, the Bible says, let marriage be held in honor by every person. I want to give you a definition of marriage for this whole series. Marriage is saying this, I am committed to you in all of the ways you will change. So like I said, I just did a wedding last weekend. And every time I do a wedding, 
you know, we, there's vows, and they always decide, are they going to do traditional vows or updated vows, or are they going to do scripture vows, or are they going to write their own vows or vows? Here's the whole point. Every vow should say basically the same thing, which is this. I am committed to you in all the ways you will change. Now, all we have to do is read this list of things, whether it's to take care of our soul and take care of our body and speak words of life and be an Engedi and protect and provide and be a great dad and pursue and lead our wives. And you can read all that. And, and if we're honest, we're, we're, we're all making progress, right? But none of us are perfect. What the Song of Solomon does and what the man in Song of Solomon does is he dimly points us to Christ, right? Because who's, Christ is the only person with perfect character who said no to every temptation and yes to every step of obedience. Christ is the only one who actually speaks the exact word we need because he actually brings us the word of God and is himself the word of God. Jesus Christ is the Engedi men that we can go to to get rest and relief so that we can be a person in place of rest and relief. He, what does Jesus mean when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Translation, I'm Engedi. Who has provided and protected for us more than anybody? Jesus Christ. He provided a way of salvation. He protected us from the very wrath of God. He does all of these things. And it calls us, as, and here's what he does most of all. He loves us. It's interesting. What happens in the book of Song of Solomon is the woman over time becomes more and more lovely. And she views herself as more and more lovely. We'll get to this in a couple weeks, but she says, I'm dark. That's what she says in chapter one, which we think that's cool. Like, oh, I'm tan. No, no, no. Back then that was like not cool. She's like, I don't feel beautiful. And by like chapter four and five, she feels so beautiful. Well, how is that? It's the man in her life. What, what the man should be is what Christ is for us. He has an efficacious love. An efficacious love is a love that actually changes and transforms people. It's a love that makes the person who's being loved more lovely. Men, this is what we're called to be. But we can't do it by ourselves. We, can, we, we need... Jesus to help us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need each other to help us. So I'd like to ask every man who would say, this is an area I want to grow in these areas. If you would stand with me right now, and I want to pray for you. If you would stand, if you'd say, I want to grow as a godly man, as a gospel-centered man, as a dad, as a husband. Here's the key, men. We, we are here not to beat you up. We are here to build you up. We don't think the answer is more programs and more nonprofits, but more men that are standing in this room who are committed to being godly and gospel-centered. Wives, girlfriends, sisters, if you're near uh, your brother or your husband uh, or your boyfriend, if you want to grab his hand, I'm going to pray for these men that God would start a mighty work in them and through them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for these men standing. I thank you for their courage to stand. I'm standing with them. We ask, I'd ask that these men would see themselves as great sinners who have been saved by a greater grace. That they would see themselves as men who need to constantly repent, but there's so much hope in the word repentance. Lord, I pray that these would be men who when they walk home into their homes with their wives and their kids, or they walk into their places of employment, that you would give them words, Lord, that they would be a place of life, that they would speak over their family blessings and not curses. Lord, I pray that they would be in Gettys for their children and for their wives. I pray you would strengthen them as it's been a hard two years. Help them to protect and provide for their family. And most of all, Lord, help them to continue to pursue and love their wives for their entire lives. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.